Amen. It's just like his great love. Amen. Thank the Lord. I appreciate those music, the songs, the music that gets our heart ready to worship the Lord. Amen. Good to see each one of you. I trust you've had a good day in the Lord, a day of rest, a day to focus on him. And it's good to be back in God's house this evening. Let's stand and ask the Lord to bless our service together. <clears throat> Once again, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, the privilege to be in your house and the privilege to be Named among the number of the blood washed. It's such a privilege, Lord, to be washed by your blood, to be redeemed. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done in our heart. The testimony of each one that's here, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet. We pray that you would touch those who aren't aren't able to be here. Ask that you would bless them and encourage and minister their hearts. And remember the persecuted believers, Lord, that can't meet together like we do. And Lord, as we bear that in mind, help us to appreciate and make the most out of our time together. May it be glorifying to your name. We are yours, and everything we have is yours. Help us to give our best to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Trust you're ready to worship the Lord again this evening. Come, sister, and lead us as we praise God. Shall we begin this evening with number 359? 359. I have settled the question. It's good to have it settled when the enemy would come out, come around and try to discourage us or whatever. Let him know that we have it settled, that we're going through. Amen. 359. <clears throat> I remember when the Lord spoke to my soul, I could feel the heavy burden from me roll, when he spoke the gracious words will bow me home, I have settled the question forever, I have settled the question Forever, I have settled the 
others may deny the Lord and live in sin, but the race that I have entered I must win. Through the pearly gates I mean to enter in. I have settled the question forever. I have settled the question. Then if you would take up your Sing and Rejoice uh, chorus book, I'd like to sing another one along the same line. I've chosen to walk with God, number 64. <clears throat> number 64. choice we make one time, but we make that choice over and over again when things come into our lives, don't we? I'm still going to walk with God, whatever it may be. Well, does somebody else have a chorus or a song that's on your heart tonight? All right, number 56. stand as we sing. I choose Jesus of the world and all the pleasures of sin and of court and of brother of Jesus more than all the gold or silver I could hold. I choose Jesus before the praise of men much wealth, great or fame. I'd rather have Jesus for yesterday, today, and forever he is the same. For Jesus said his voice, he saves and sanctifies. By every need he supplies, he's all I need. Oh 
try it again. I choose Jesus above the world and all the pleasures of sin it affords. I would rather have Jesus more than all the gold or silver I could hoard. I choose Jesus before the praise of another one pardon number five sixty five all right sixty five sorry <clears throat> I've gone too far? All right. seated. I'd like to sing one more out of the hymn book yet. Number 199. <clears throat> Holiness unto the Lord. <clears throat> Still our watchword and song.
of sin to be free. Holiness under the Lord is our watchword and song. Holiness under the Lord is we're marching along. Sing and shout it now and long. Holiness under the people, aren't we? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord is our watch, word, and song. Amen. As we're marching along, sing it, shout it, loud and long. <laughs> One person said, sing it, shout it, live it. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be holy, not by our own standards, but by the Lord's standards, and He makes us holy. 
Praise the Lord. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't have anything to boast about other than we can boast about our Lord. Amen. It's good to be in the way of holiness. Praise the Lord. Anybody with a testimony on your heart tonight? Amen. Praise the Lord. Good. Anybody else? I'm thankful for holiness. I'm Amen. thankful for the holy people that God has made us and they're Amen. the best people in the world. And it's a privilege it's true. to be saved and sanctified Amen. and try to serve the Lord the best of our ability. What a blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. Thank the Lord. We are a blessed people. We need to think about that. Amen. Amen. Don't want to get into the message, but we get our remembrance would get stirred up. Amen. That'd do something for us. Get the old memory stirred up. Remember what the Lord has done for us. Remember His promises. Remember His word. Amen. He's worthy of our praise. Give the glory due unto his name. Amen. Amen. That song is a special song to me because it was made real to my heart when I was seeking holiness. The Lord let me know Amen. it's not my own righteousness, but Christ within. Yes. I have so much right self righteousness of my own, but it's all of him. And I just want Amen. to show and praise him tonight. It's still that way. Amen. I have nothing of myself to boast in, but it's all in him. I thank you. Praise the Lord. Good. Thank the Lord. Anybody else? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. We should be the kind of people that the world grieves when we leave, not rejoices. We were talking about that the other day, about his departure and about the kind of people, the, just the atmosphere that's going to be up in heaven, let alone the presence of the Lord. I told Mike, and I think I might have said it here before, but when I think of heaven, I think of the, the most blessed and encouraging service I've ever been in where the presence of the Lord is, is so close, or maybe in your closet your secret time with the Lord and just feeling God's presence so very near and just being encouraged and with God's people that's how heaven's going to start off a whole bunch better than even that that's just a little glimpse to get us get our appetite ready amen my my mom said they went and ate with some folks from Eritrea said that they after the or after the the meal I think it was 
said they would take the coffee and make a little bit of coffee and it had this almost really strong like espresso and some of you wouldn't like that but they made it real strong and said they'd just take it and uh, just open the lid there and pass it by everybody's nose that was just a tradition they had and kind of get your appetite kind of start smelling that start getting you awakened a little bit get you ready for the coffee and I think the Lord does that different times through our walk with him just gives us a little glimpse a little glimpse here and a little thought over here to encourage us along and I think everything at once would be too much for our mortal bodies. I think there's been some places in the scripture and, and in the saints of years gone by, they've said, Lord, if you give me much more, I think I'm going to be translated. <laughs> what a day that's going to be to be reunited with all those people that have been faithful in their service to the Lord and their walk with him and just be in there in God's presence. That's going to be grand. What a day that'll be. Amen. That's my testimony this evening. Does anyone else have a testimony? All right. Oh, go ahead. Amen. Amen. It's true. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good. Good. That's true. It's not even outside the U.S. that people are prohibited by the government from meeting together like we're doing tonight, singing the hymns. They get a fine if they meet together. They get another fine if they sing. And here we are. Think, oh my, three songs is a lot. You read much in church history, you run across the songs that had lots and lots of verses <laughs> They kind of got excited about praising the Lord, and they'd sing and sing. Maybe they had bigger lungs than what we got now. Seems like we hardly, <laughs> hardly preacher can't hardly preach much beyond 15 minutes, and people can't sing much beyond two or three songs. Like Brother Plank said, thank the Lord the holiness people still have strength enough to pick up that heavy old songbook. We don't have to put it on the projector just yet. <laughs> thank the Lord. I like the old-fashioned way. Praise His name. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Oh. Praise the Lord. Amen. Me too. Thank the Lord. I want to be close to Him. Hear His voice. Amen. Anyone else? I was with my dad the other day. He was bidding on some things on the auction, the car auction. There's one auction. They don't even have an in-person auction. Oh, it's just online. 
and uh, that's the way they sell stuff. You can go to the auction place, there's a physical address where the vehicles are and equipment and stuff, you can go and look at it. And when it comes time to buy it, it's just online. They don't even have, there's, you could go to the place and there's no auctioneers there, it's just all automated. And there has been times where we've watched something sell, sometimes we've been the highest bidder. It has a little circle on the dial and uh, the show's a little timer going, going around the the circle and when it gets around to the the circle if nobody bids the time is up and the vehicle sells it sells to the highest bidder and uh, we were watching it the other day and time was getting down towards the end and nobody bidded nobody bidded and then it popped up it says bonus time and it gave another circle <laughs> sometimes I, I feel like well maybe no one else is wanting to testify and then sometimes I think oh we'll give them some bonus time maybe they want to maybe they want some more time to praise the Lord I know sometimes it takes a little while to gather our thoughts I'm like that too sometimes I look at the clock and the dial spinning around there and it's almost church time I need a little more time I need some bonus time to get prepared for the message <laughs> but want want to give you time to praise the Lord don't want you to be under any pressure I think the Lord wants glory from those who willingly lift up his name and willingly praise him he uh, is very much capable of creating rocks to praise him. He said he could, he could create children of Abraham out of the rocks. He said that the people wouldn't, shouldn't be quiet and praising and glorifying him, lest the rocks should cry out. So God, he's worthy of praise, even if the rocks have to do it. And uh, he wants our praise willingly. He wants us willingly. Amen. He's worthy of our praise. All right, well, let's prepare our hearts to go to prayer. Do you have prayer requests that's on your heart you'd like to share this evening? Thank the Lord for the privilege of prayer. As the one song says, what a friend we have in Jesus. And it goes on to talk about how we can go to him in prayer and take our needs to him in prayer. My dad's often said, he said, maybe that song should be retitled, Take It to the Lord in Prayer. But when you have a friend like Jesus, you can take your needs to him. And I'm so thankful we could do that. Praise his name. I wonder if anyone else has a testimony on your heart. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good. Good. Amen. Anybody else? All right, Brother Mike, why don't you come? We'll pass the evening offering plate.
Amen. God will take care of you. No matter what might be the test, God will take care of you. If you let him. Amen. You've got to stay within his care for him to take care of you. Praise his name. As we've been studying about peace, we find that we have to stay within the bounds so we can have his peace. Thank the Lord. Amen. All hearts clear. Amen. Well, it's good to be back in God's house again with God's people. Amen. I uh, guess I failed to mention our appreciation for your appreciation of us. We didn't know whether we should send cards to each one of you for your cards to us. <laughs> no, really, though, we do appreciate your expressions of love and appreciation. And uh, we feel privileged to be called here to minister to you and with you and to serve the Lord together on our way to heaven. We appreciate each one of those cards. And I told my wife, I said, I, I can be insensitive, I guess, about some things, but I tend to be a little sentimental with thank you cards, and I like to keep all my thank you cards. I, unless maybe someone's chucked away or I have chucked away things by accident, I try to keep every thank you card that I've received. And... Uh, I like birthday cards. Some people did just toss them with the wind or white them out and put another person's name in there and pass them on, and that's okay too, but I like your words of encouragement. Amen. We, we appreciated your cards and your love offerings. May the Lord bless you for that. Amen. Appreciate your encouragement as I endeavor to encourage you, and I think we'll both make it to heaven that way. Praise the Lord. I want you to stand this evening as we ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word. Let's bow our heads and pray. We love you, Jesus. Thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to open a copy of your Word and read from it the words of life. And we ask that you administer to our hearts some spiritual truth that would have a benefit in the aspects of eternity. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to glean the truth that you have for us tonight. For that will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Last Sunday evening, if I remember correctly, I brought to you a message on diligence in the series that if you do these things, you shall never fall. There's a lot of passages in the scriptures that indicates that we don't have to fall from grace. We don't have to be like that dog that returns to its vomit. We don't have to be like the, the pig or the sow that returns back to the mud. But thank the Lord that we can get in the grace. We can get into a relationship with the Lord and it's so good we don't want to leave. Amen. There are people who have turned their back upon God. We certainly can fall away. But we don't have to. Thank the Lord. We don't have to. We need to remember that. We don't have to. Because the world and their opinion and their voice is getting stronger and stronger. And that doctrine seems to be growing. To try to paint the picture that we can just do what we want. And somehow God is going to have to claim His people. The Bible says, of course, Paul wrote that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. Nothing else rather, can separate us from the love of God. The things in this life and the things in the life to come, 
Other people, circumstances can't separate you from God's love. The only thing that can separate you from God's love is you. Is your choice, your decision to rebel against Him and say, No, God, I don't want your help. No, I don't want your love. I've met some people who've been in a one-sided love affair, if you will. They've loved a person who didn't love them back. Sometimes it's been a young man who had his eye on a young lady that he just thought for sure that was the one. Sometimes it's a mother who loves her son and be willing to almost give her life's blood to see him saved, to see him become a Christian, make it to heaven. But that son doesn't love that mother back. And I think it paints a, a picture at least as best we can understand to be in humans of what it must be like for God to love a soul, but that soul not to love God back. What a broken-hearted Savior we have. What a merciful Savior. Faithful unto the end. But let's look at this passage again together. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning to read at verse number 1 through verse 15. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance." He goes on there to say that this is not cunningly devised fables, but they're eyewitnesses. He's handing down things that he's seen God do. He's handing down the gospel, the word that the Lord has spoken to his heart. And surely that 
verse 15 has come to pass that long after he's passed away, that we have these things written down, that we can remember them and read from them and God can speak to our hearts. I asked you before, and I want to make an emphasis, would you like to be barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus? I don't know any Christian that really wants to be that way. What about blind and nearsighted? You can see maybe, but not afar off. Who wants to see afar off? Who wants to see the things that are to come? What about forgetful of salvation or the places where they've been and how the Lord has saved them and sanctified them and changed their heart? I said before that that's the first step of backsliding. And it's mentioned here to be forgetful. We don't want to be that way, and so we want to study this passage and understand what we can do. What is our part? Every aspect of the spiritual life is a part that only God can do that man can't do. And there's a part that man can do and God can't do. God has set it up that way. He set it up that way that it has to be your will and God's will to make it to heaven. The scripture is clear that it is God's will that all men should come to repentance and that none should perish. But is it man's will? Is it man's will? If it's our will, we don't need to fall away. We can make it to heaven. Amen? We just got done talking about that. Last week I talked to you about diligence. And I like sometimes to listen to the messages. Sometimes I'll review it. One person said, do you like to hear yourself sing or hear yourself preach? And I said, no, not particularly. But I do it for the sake of remembrance and to make sure that I don't leave anything out. Sometimes I'll go back and listen to something and the Lord will speak to my heart and say, you need to re-emphasize this or you left this out and this is important. And sometimes the Lord will have His messengers leave things out that they intended to say and sometimes that's the Lord's will. Other times we have to go back and give a little more emphasis, a little more clarity. And as I listened to the message from last week and reviewed over my notes that I had and the scripture references, I felt everything that was in there was what the Lord wanted me to share, but I felt that there was enough for another lesson on diligence. And maybe more along the lines of practical application. I believe it was Tozer that said, if we understand what God's Word says, we understand the truth in God's Word, but we don't know how to apply it in our own lives, then we don't have anything. And that's truly the case. I want you to be able to go away from every message that you hear me preach, understanding how it applies to you and your never-dying soul and your mortal flesh and the things that God wants you to do. And so that's the endeavor tonight is just to go over and maybe do a part two on diligence. On diligence. We looked at some of the meanings of diligence last week, and I don't want to go over and rehearse everything. Of course, if we rehearse, we wouldn't have any time to share any further. <laughs> but as I thought about diligence, I thought about this definition. As this is what came to my mind in, in our studies in diligence. It's to be thoughtfully thorough about every part of your spiritual life. To be thoughtfully thorough about every part of your spiritual life. And it means also to give attention to spiritual detail. Gave you some examples of what diligence is and to being thorough and thoughtful and, and everything. But really if we don't know how to apply that in our own life, we've missed the truth. We need to understand what it means to be diligent in our own life. And not just diligent in, 
in other things the duties of this physical life, but diligent spiritually. Because God wants us to be spiritually diligent, to pay attention to spiritual details in our lives. And I would just start off by saying this before we get too far, that some people would say, well, being diligent means to examine oneself, and if you over-examine yourself, you can become conscientious. You can become uh, so unsure of yourself. But I would contend this, that if you're really diligent and you give it good thought, and you let God examine your heart, and you're studied out in the Word, and we're going to get to some of those passages, if you're really diligent, you can have it settled in your heart. You don't have to be in questions. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live with a question mark above the, the soul of your life. But you can have the assurance. And, and it's clear in the Word that God wants us to have assurance as we follow Him. He's given us a road map so that we don't have to be worried about whether we're following Him or following the devil. Whether we're walking in the light or walking in the darkness. God's given us His light so that things will be made manifest. No, Webster says that diligence is the philosopher's stone that turns everything to gold. I thought that was pretty good. The philosopher's stone that turns everything into gold. Being diligent. Being diligent. Being thoughtful. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 3, verse number 16 and 17. Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I mentioned some about this last week, but I want us to go over it and look at it again because I think it helps us to understand how important it is for us to be diligent in our life. There's coming a judgment day. You're not a stranger to the fact that you will stand before God and give an account. But I want us to look here in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and just give you a, a brief briefing on the context here. Is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is preaching, and so people had some questions. They wanted to know if he was the Messiah, and so they asked him the question, Are you the Christ? And this is his answer in verses 16 and 17, Luke chapter 3. He says, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, and with fire. Look what it says here in verse number 17. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. The Lord is going to thoroughly inspect, he's going to thoroughly purge the floor. He's going to do some sorting, and that's what's going to happen on Judgment Day. There's going to become there's going to become a time when every person will be sorted. There's a parable in the scriptures where it talks about uh, a, a master of a field who sows weed and then in the night his enemy comes and sows tares along with them. And the servants say, you know, can we just go ahead and root out the tares? Can we go ahead and just snuff out their life? Can we just pull them up by the roots? And I wonder maybe if that isn't some of the question of the angels to Jesus. Can we just snuff out the life of the, the evil workers, the people who are trying to... Uh, wreak havoc and chaos and those who are trying to give pain to the saints can we just go ahead and do away with them he said no he said let them grow together it's the father's mercy that lets them grow together and at the end there's going to be a sorting there's going to come a time where he's going to examine he's going to thoroughly purge the scripture says and john gives us that account 
I want us to look at another passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. To be diligent. Diligence is more than just giving thought to something, but rather it's, a, it's an examination. It's an examining of one's life and comparing it to God's standards. You'll run across people in your spiritual walk who seem to be very thorough. They seem to give thought. They seem to give attention to detail. And there's probably not an area of their life that they haven't thought about, that they haven't pondered over. But being thorough, being diligent, practicing diligence spiritually is more than just giving it thought. But it's careful comparison to the Word of God. And to God's standard. We don't make the standard ourselves. Jesus talked about those who compare themselves with themselves. In other words, the people in the church comparing themselves to another person in the church. And everything seems pretty good. The standard seems pretty well. You look pretty good. and Look at me and I look pretty good. And examine my life. And let's talk about some spiritual things. And I'm doing this. And what about you? Oh, you're doing the same thing? Okay, it must be alright then. And I would just insert into this passage that there's people again addressing the doctrine of people who believe that you have to fall people that believe that you can't live in victory they would come to that conclusion not by a careful examination of the word but they would come to that conclusion by examining other people who they would highly esteem there may be people that they exalt them that maybe they're the most spiritual people that they know about and they would say oh look at this person this person does it that person over there they do it, it must be okay if I do it too so there's dangers when we compare ourselves to ourselves. Then as the drift happens, and we've seen it through the years, when a young man of my age can see a drift, you know that the drift is strong and it's fast. And it's sweeping a lot of people away with the current. I like what Daryl Stetler said in one of his messages to be holy. He said, the standard of holiness is not how far away from the world we are, but it's rather how close we are to God. Amen? We're to be close to God. We're to be walking in accordance to His Word. Not just trying to live in objection to the things of this life. And if you walk godly, the Bible says all that uh, live godly shall suffer persecution. If you try to live holy, you're going to find yourself in opposition to some of the things in this world. Some of the things of this life. Some of your so-called friends maybe that don't have a real heart desire to follow God down in their heart. There's, there's going to be... There's going to be some friction there. There's going to be some things that don't sit quite right. You ever, you know what, something that doesn't sit quite right? When we was a kid, we used to try to pet the cat backwards. The cat didn't even like it. <laughs> the, the fur only sits right when it's going the right direction. There's times when, when there'll be some friction between you and the world. But again, that's not the standard, just being at friction with the world. There's people who are rebels, and they're at friction with the world. There's people who would do all sorts of strange things to be different from everybody else, and that doesn't make them spiritual a bit. But you see, the standard is God's standard. God has given us His standard, and it's the Word of God. Some people say, well, do you think that God can, can, you think that God can speak directly to a person without His Word? Absolutely He can. But do you think a person who would reject the ability to be able to pick up God's Word and study it, is going to be really worried about having a close relationship with God. And, and if we're really concerned about our walk with Him, we're going to read His Word. He's given us His Word. We're not to ignore the Scriptures. If I remember correctly, it was Marshall Smart that said he, 
met a man who claimed to be a Christian and had long hair. And Marshall talked to him about it. He said, man, what about, what about your hair? He said, if God didn't want me to have long hair, he would have told me he didn't want me to have it. God could speak to me, he said. Marshall Smart said he did. It's in the Bible. You just didn't read it. Man, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we just have to read. Can God speak to a person? Yes. If they want to hear, and part of wanting to hear what God's opinion is, is reading His Word and studying His Word. And that's what this passage talks about in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15. Look what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So he said there's something that you have to do. What you have to do is you have to study. You have to study. You have to dig in. You have to let your understanding take root. You may have to do a little bit of legwork in studying Scripture. You may read a passage and you may not understand what it means right off. You may have to ponder that. You may have to get a concordance. You may have to look at other passages. You may have to look at references and, and other passages that speak along the same line. You may have an issue in your life that you're not sure about. You may have something that you're, a question that you're faced with. And he says that you are to study. That you're to study. You're to go to the Word. You're to go to the book with all the answers. Amen? I've had times where people have come to me and they've asked me questions. And they say, you're a preacher, you're a minister, what do you think about this? I have a question here, I'd like to know about this. And I said, you know, I'm a minister and I'm a preacher and I enjoy, and I, I enjoy teaching people things that the Lord has helped me to understand. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I've told some people, I said, you know, I'll, I'll help you in your journey. I, I'll tell you what I know, and then anything beyond that, I'll help you, and we'll both find the answers if I don't have the answer for it. But I've had times where people have come to me, and they'll ask me a question, and I say, you know, as much as I may have an answer for you, you really need to hear it from the Lord. And I'll point them to some Scripture references that they can go and study it out and hear that it's God's voice. I appreciate people that respect ministers, and the Bible talks about that, that we should respect ministers, people who have a calling to ex exhort the Word, and I appreciate that. But I am not the standard, and neither are you. Nor is the person who started this church or drove the first nail in this building. As much as we would appreciate and respect them and honor them, and we should, we really should. We're not to belittle people in the faith, who have handed down the gospel to us, but they aren't the ones who made the standard. God is the standard. He's the setter of standards. I believe it was Lawrence B. Hicks. He said, I'm not a setter of standards. I just preach the Lord's standards. The Lord is the setter of standards. Amen? And the standards have been laid out in God's Word, and we have to study it. We have to know it for ourselves. You don't have to take someone else's word for it. God has given you His Word, and you're to study it. To show yourself approved unto men. Absolutely not. To show yourself approved unto God. There's a lot of people who want to be approved unto men. 
But on that great day, standing before the white throne of the judgment seat, you'll be glad that you were approved unto God. Amen? And we are to study His Word so that we could be approved unto God. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in doubt. It's more than just a, a mere thought. It's more than just being thoughtful. But it's rather a comparison, a careful comparison of one's life according to God's Word and according to His standard. And it's taking God's Word and studying it out. And how should a Christian live? What is the character of a Christian? And am I living this way? James seems to paint the picture that the Bible is a mirror. And people can go to that mirror and they can look in the mirror and they can see themselves for who they really are. I said before that James is a photographer. He's a spiritual photographer. And he'll get your picture pretty quickly. You, you read through the five simple chapters of James. It won't take very long and you'll get yourself located. You'll know just right where you're at. The Lord will speak to you. I read through the book of James a lot of mornings. And there's always something in there that the Lord is speaking to me. The Lord is adjusting a little bit and, and just reminding me to be careful in certain areas. And so as we look at this passage to study ourselves, to show, study to show thyself approved unto God of workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Some people would like to pray and say, Lord, would you just give me understanding of your word? And we should pray that way. But we need to be willing to apply ourselves to study to examine, to read it, to dig around. And it's still by revelation, but it's those that hunger and thirst after God that get filled. It's not the people who half-heartedly just flip open the Bible and whatever it is, they just read it and then they go about their day and say, yeah, I read the Bible. And I think that's the challenge to Christians in this refined culture of American Christian society, if you will just to go to a devotional book, just to go even tune in and pick up a CD or a cassette tape or a record and put it in the player and listen to someone exhort the word to you. And we should appreciate that, and I do as well. As a minister, I don't get to hear someone else's preaching every service like you do. So I like to go and hear some of the old timers and some of the old messages. And it has encouraged me. It has helped me along many times. But let's not let that be a substitute. Devotionals have their place. Commentaries have their place. And we should be able to have people and sources and places that we can go to get answers when we get stuck. But we need to be willing to apply ourselves. To be willing to sharpen our teeth on the meat of God's Word. Amen. Talked to you some months ago, I believe it was, where he said that it's about time that you should be teaching other people but you still have need of the milk yourself. You're still going back to the first things again. And I, and I would say that here we need to be careful in this being diligence, that, or we need to be careful and understand what real diligence is and not uh, fall prey to the false diligence that the enemy would have of thinking that second-guessing ourselves all the time is diligence. That's not diligence. Diligence is digging into it and finding the answers and understanding what God wants us to do and then leaving it there and moving on. For you see, if you keep going back, and there may be things in your life that God calls you to go back and examine in your life, but be weary and be, be leery. Be careful about that happening over and over again because the devil will use that as a tactic to keep you in the first things of spiritual life. 
You'll be always going back to the first and doing the first works over again. You'll be going back to the, the baby things. And God wants us to progress. God wants us not just to be as disciples, just that we would always sit and be taught. But God wants us to learn and grow in knowledge so that we can go out and teach other people. And I would mention this as a principle of spiritual understanding and spiritual living. Accountability and mentoring, mentorship. You need to have a person that you look up to spiritually that you can go to, and it doesn't have to be me, it doesn't have to be the pastor, but someone that you have a lot of confidence in that you can go to when you have questions, and you can bounce some ideas off of them. And it might not be a person that you say, hey, this is thus saith the Lord, and I don't have to go anywhere else. That should be a person that points you to the Word of God. There needs to be a, a person in your life that you can go to you can ask for prayer that you can go to and just be in yourself, that you're not worried about your self-image or who you are to that person or what that person thinks of you, but you can just go to that person and talk a man-to-man, woman-to-woman, and say, hey, would you pray for me about this? What are your thoughts about this? You need to have somebody that you can go to, and in turn, you need to be mentoring other people. You need to be not only have someone that has discipled you and is helping and encouraging you, but you need to be discipling other people because that's why the church is, is small today, even though it's been how many hundreds of years since Pentecost? How many hundreds of years since the New Testament and the gospel went forth and blossomed? It's because the devil has found tactics and found ways for us just to be so concerned about ourselves that we're not able to go out and minister to other people. And, and people who, have, who are disciples of God, they're not growing to the point where they can be discipling other people and that's where God wants us to be and if we're diligent and we examine the roots and we get right down to the root of the problem we dig in and get it settled amen we get it settled in our hearts we don't have to go around with question marks on us we don't have to go around if a person says hey you know what about that or or a person in the world say why do you do that we don't have to be set back by that we don't have to go and fast and pray for three or four days to figure out why we do what we do, but we need to know and have the answers rooted in God's Word because God's Word is the standard. To be thoughtfully thorough about every part of your spiritual life, to be giving attention to spiritual detail. And I thought about some practical examples here, and this is not an all-inclusive list. You could take this and, and branch out from this as the Lord may lead you, but I thought about it, the importance of of being diligent and having an awareness of the influences on us. The things that influence us, it behooves us, it's to our best interest if we're thoughtful about our influences. And whether you realize it or not, there's things that influence you on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's to your best interest if you get aware of those things that influence you and to be attentive to those things and to keep those things in check. Amen? Sometimes we can't... Uh, we can't push back we can't cease to be influenced but we need to be aware of which influences are leading us astray or which ones are leading us closer to the Lord I have down here the first one are your thoughts your thoughts be aware of your thoughts and how your thoughts influence your perspective on life your perspective on God your perspective on spiritual things your perspective on other people Paul said you have to bring your thoughts into captivity. So as soon as a thought comes in the door of the room of your thinking process, go and grab that. Make it pass through the metal detector. Ask it if it's got any hidden weapons hiding somewhere. Ask it if it's got any poison, if it has any ill intent. Sit it down and interview it, if you will. Your thoughts. Bring your thoughts into check. Be diligent about that. Not every thought that pops into your mind is the Lord. Be thoughtful about that. 
No pun intended. But be diligent. Be thorough. Examine your thoughts. Don't, don't just allow your thoughts to influence you without being aware of it. Your thoughts come from different things. There's life experiences. Life experiences can leave a lasting effect or a lasting impression on you. And you need to be aware of that. You may not be in control of that. You may, you may have experienced circumstances. You may have experienced things in your life that were not your choice and not your choosing. You may find yourself in a place where that you didn't intend to be. You intended to be somewhere else. You've endured things that you didn't wish or hope that you would endure. And those things will have an influence on you. That's okay. That's okay. That's part of life. But you need to be aware of that and how that influences you and how it can affect your thinking, how it can affect your, your uh, principles in your life, how it can affect your impressions. There's a lot that could be said along the lines of impressions. And we need to be careful to bring our impressions into check. I think those would fall under the, the category of thoughts. But people get impressions and they get a certain kind of impression. They think it's the Lord. And sometimes the Lord does speak through impressions. We know that. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know God will start to speak to people through that way. But that's also an avenue of confusion. The devil would like to confuse people through impressions. And not every impression that you get is the Lord. My, my uh, grandpa said he was praying one time as a new Christian, a young man. And he said, uh, the devil, he seemed like it was the devil. And he said, well, he got this impression that, that he used to pray on a certain rock back behind his house. And he said he was praying there with his Bible laid out on that rock. And it was a pretty good sized rock. And he said he just got the impression that he said, there's a snake under that rock. There's a snake under that rock. And here you are, right? You could get bit by this snake. And he said, devil, I'm trying to pray. Leave me alone. And he got this impression. He said, this, this snake is still under the rock. And he said, well, I'm just going to settle it. He flipped up the rock, and sure enough, there was a snake there. And he said, he, he said well, a snake, I, that's a sign of the serpent, you know, the sign of the enemy. He said, killed the snake, and he went back to prayer un, unaffected. <laughs> there may be things happen, and maybe they're true, and maybe they're not. You say, well, what are the chances of a snake being under the rock? Well, chances of wherever the snake wanted to go, I guess. <laughs> My grandpa talked about a time he was in prayer. He went to this place back in the, parked his car, and walked way back in the woods to pray. And he said he got back there and he said the devil whispered to him, at least he thought it was the devil. He said, your lights are on in your car. And he said, your battery's going to go dead. And he said, you won't be able to get back in time for church. Your car's going to be dead and you'll be stuck out here. He said, my lights are not on. He said, I'm, I'm sure I turned them off. He said, that voice said to him again, your lights are on. You better turn them off. You turn them off, you can get back to prayer. He kept fighting with it for a while and it was on his mind. He couldn't kind of seem to shake it. And so finally he said, well... I'll just go and turn the lights off and go back to pray. He went back to the car and his lights were already off. Impressions. Some are true and some are not. That's not a spiritual guide. A spiritual guide is one that's always true. The Bible, the Word of God, will never fail you. It will never lead you astray and then come and tap you on the shoulder later and say, Hey, I actually made a mistake. I told you wrong. There's people that may do that. Spiritual people that you may look up to that do that. Make sure that your beliefs... That your principles are rooted in the Word of God. Be diligent about that. Your friendships and your relationships. Other people and their influence on you. One person said you will make your friends and your friends will make you. And that's very true. You'll choose who your friends are and, and you'll choose who the ones that are really close to you. The ones that you can share life experiences with. 
And I hope that you're a person that you can have friends that you share spiritual experiences with, that you can study the Word together. I think as God's people, we need to be diligent in applying God's Word to every area of our life. We need to not be afraid to talk about God's Word, especially with other Christians or people who aren't Christians. We'll be glad we did on Judgment Day, talking about the things of God, praying together, not being ashamed of Him, but think about that. Be aware, have an awareness of your friendships and your relationships and how other people are influencing you. Have an awareness of the influences through your reading materials. And there, there's a lot that could be said about that. Your reading materials. What you read. Some people would, would read fiction. They would say, well, this is an innocent story. It doesn't really have anything bad in it. And maybe that's their choice. Other people who would, would read the scriptures or read a spiritual book. And uh, there are a lot of good spiritual books that the saints of years gone by have wrote. There's songs. How, does, how do, do music affect you? That would be along the lines of media. Be aware of your influences through media. The influences on you through media. Music, through social media, through news. And I threw this one in here too, movies. And television. I know some of us would already have a pretty clear understanding of why we don't watch movies, why we don't have TVs and watch them, but I think it's good to be refreshing our memory on why we don't do the things that we don't do and why we do the things that we do, and having it rooted in God's Word. As we're going through the study of Philippians 4.8 and the filter of Philippians 4.8, and that would apply to this category of media and the things that you choose to allow to influence you. We've talked about life experiences and other things, other people. There may be people in your life that influence you that you don't have control over that. You can't put them out of your life. You may work for them. They may be your boss. They may be your spouse. They may be your neighbor. And you can't do anything about that necessarily. God can give you victory in that situation, but you need to be aware of that. But there's another category of influences of your choosing, which is like reading material, things that you listen to, things that you watch. Things that you take in, places that you would choose to go. And the reason why we wouldn't have anything to do with movies, and I'm glad that the Lord put me in a family that raised me without movies. God gave them instructions on that. About the time I was a baby, they put away movies. They didn't always uh, didn't have movies in their house, I guess. There was a time when they did have movies. But I'm glad that the Lord gave them light on that just about the time I came along. So I, w I grew up, I was raised without movies, and I appreciate that. I've had different people who I appreciate. They do great things for the Lord. And I believe that they do have a relationship with God. And I've heard them say things about movies. And I, every time I've examined or researched, I, I have not found one movie that would pass through the spiritual filter of Philippians 4.8. And that's why we just don't have anything to do with it. One person said, well, if they could make a movie that was godly and wholesome and that... I said, well, yeah. I said, I don't have a problem with just putting something in and listening to it or putting something in and watching it necessarily. But it's the influences. And, and the people who have taken over the movie world, the movie industry, are not godly people. They're not interested in making you a better Christian. They're not good Christians themselves, let alone trying to teach someone else. Same, same thing with the television. Somebody said, well, what, if, what if everything on the TV was just godly and it was just all holiness preaching? I said, then I'd be for the TV. But the problem is that it's not. It's not godly. It's not wholesome. It's been taken over by wicked people who are pushing a wicked agenda. 
So I thought I'd throw that in there because we need to be aware of that. You could talk about things like the radio and a lot of whole, whole lot of other categories of things that influence you, things that you choose. I have a subcategory of music here because the lyrics, the words of songs will influence you. And if I understand things correctly, there's really kind of three parts to music. And I don't understand music very well, but you have rhythm and you have tempo. And those two things work together. Uh, they, they work together, but by themselves. Either one by themselves can have an effect on you and can have an effect on your mood. And I would ask you this question. Does music, what kind of music you listen to, and be aware of what kind of music will make you a careless person, will make you licentious. And I would say it like this, that one person, uh, there was, I ran across a gospel track. I wish I could find it. I'm sure I have it somewhere because I'm so organized. My mom wrote on my board one time, she said, organized people are just too lazy to look for things. I'm sure I have this gospel track somewhere, but it was on the topic of cigarettes. And it talked about how people will try to say this about cigarettes and try to say that. And some people say, well, it causes cancer, so it's wrong. And that's true. Sometimes it does cause cancer. But then you'll run across other people who have smoked till they're 80 or 90 years old and never get cancer. That's not the only reason why. But one person said this about cigarettes. He said, all the movie stars back in the day used to always smoke cigarettes. And he said he would put it to the test. He hasn't had anybody to challenge him and come back. To, prove, to disprove his statement. And he said, he said, find any person. He said, particularly, he said, a young person, a young lady who starts smoking cigarettes, he said, it's usually not six months till they give their virginity away. Now think about that. Think about that. The influence of, of a, a little smoke stick, if you will, a little cancer stick. The influence of music, not just the lyrics. Some people would say, oh, it's just the words are bad. You know, so if we could take that music. One person told my dad, he was into Christian rock music. My dad was talking to him about it. And this guy said to my dad, he said, we can't let the devil have all the good music now, can we? He said, we can't let him have all the good music. He said, we put Christian words to the, to the world's music and, and kind of, you know, it's like redemption of music. Friend, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It influences you. Music will influence you through the words. It will influence you through the rhythm, through the tempo, the beat of the music, the tone of the music. I'm not here to tell you that there's notes that are wicked on that piano or on that organ or on Jeremy's guitar or Micah's violin, but it can be played in a wicked way. It can be played in a way that makes people careless, makes people thoughtless about their spiritual well-being, and that works the opposite agenda of what the Scriptures tells us to be diligent. I would say this, too, because it's something that stuck out to me in reading the book by Tozer, titled, Knowledge of the Holy. He shares the importance of our understanding about God. He says what you think about God. The ideas that come into your mind when you think about God are some of the most important things about you. And we need to filter that out. And so I have down here your ideas about God and spiritual truth. It would kind of fall under that category of thoughts. Some people say, well, we, you know, we were raised in the church, so we have these ideas and these thoughts, and this is what helps guide our life. Being a diligent person is taking those thoughts to the standard of God's Word and running them through God's Word. There's many people who have been led astray. They're not going out to be immoral. They're not going out to sip on the booze. But they've been led astray because there's been thoughts that have gone unchecked, 
even been raised in a holiness church or a Christian background, and they just haven't been diligent about those thoughts to make sure that their thoughts, that those are ideas, that those are principles, that those are practices that would align with God's Word. And so don't just assume, don't just be a person to assume, but being a diligent person and practical example is a person who would take that and challenge that and say, let's go to the, let's go to the Word with that. I would ask you to examine your attitudes and your intents, the intents of your heart, the attitudes that you have. The attitude and intents of your heart are the propellant of your life. It's like gasoline in the car. It's what makes it go. It's the driving force. Be diligent enough to examine the intents that you have, the goals, the agendas that you have in your life. Compare those with God's Word. What about your words and your language? We could talk a lot about the influence that other people would have on us through their words and through their language and the dangers of being around a lot of foul language. As you can start to be thinking along those lines, I might have given you the illustration. It's been a number of years ago that I was a member of the Academy of Model Aeronautics and I had a membership with a local airfield just flying remote control planes and they had a little airport just for remote control planes. Sounds innocent enough, doesn't it? Well, it was. It was fun. But there were some people out there that were members of the club and they were out there a lot of times when I would fly and they, they didn't have clean language. Their tongues were corrupted and their minds were corrupted and there would be jokes that they would say that I wouldn't laugh about. There would be foul language that they would use and they, they would use words for astonishment's sake when there really was no, no use to use those words, foul language. And I'm not going to repeat any of it. It wouldn't do you any good. And I didn't think much of it. Because I wasn't saying those words. But after being there around that influence for, for a number of weeks, I believe, maybe months, we'd go out there and fly sometimes in the evenings, and it wasn't every day. We didn't have TV, and it wasn't watching movies or anything like that. But I was at the job site one time, and something didn't go right. I don't, I don't think I even hit my thumb with a hammer. And I didn't say it. But when something didn't go right, that vocabulary popped into my mind just because of that experience, that influence. And I didn't realize all that time that that atmosphere was having an influence on me. Here I thought I was the one being the good influence. But I say that just to be careful. And I, and I felt that it was wise for me to step away from that. And I told him what it was. I said, you know, the airfield is great. The accommodations are great. I enjoy flying. It's a lot of fun. Innocent enough, but I said the atmosphere. And I said it doesn't need to be that way. It's, you know, people flying their remote control planes. We don't need to be cussing and cursing and swearing like they're sailors or something. And I told them that. And I wasn't mean about it. I wasn't nasty about it. I wanted to leave a good example as a Christian that I was just going to have to separate myself from that. And that was the only reason I was leaving. I wasn't offended at any person. But we need to be aware of our influences, the circumstances, the atmospheres that we would find ourselves in. But I would also ask you this, the words that you use and your vocabulary. Maybe you don't have any swear words. Maybe there's not any time in your life throughout the week that you would take the Lord's name in vain, and that's good. But the Lord says that we're going to give an account for every idle word. And true diligence 
spiritual diligence carried out practically is running your vocabulary, your language, running it through the standard of God's Word. And I would ask you to think about some of the words that you would say, some of your crutch words even that would seem innocent enough to you. Just take time to be thoughtful enough just to take it to the Lord and ask the Lord what He thinks about it. Go to the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures that talk about idle words and language and our communication of our lips. And see what the Bible has to say about it. And the Lord will show you. He'll give you understanding. Mentioned a little bit about hobbies. I put down here harmless hobbies. You know all hobbies are harmless. At least they seem to be. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. My grandpa used to say, he said, I think it's good for a man to have a hobby. A man that doesn't have a hobby can burn himself out. It's, it's good to have something that help you relax and help you unwind. A good hobby is a good thing. If you drive yourself and drive yourself and never relax, you'll burn yourself out. God doesn't want us to burn ourselves out necessarily. But what about your hobbies? Do they help you unwind? Do they help you relax? Do they help you enjoy life? Or do they, do they distract you from God? Do they distract you from the things that you should be doing? Are they a hindrance to you? God has blessed us with a lot of enjoyments of this life. Many of them are innocent in and of themselves. As long as we keep them in the right place. It's about where we keep them in our heart. Don't let anything get on the throne of your life. I would say be diligent about your clothing. Think about your clothing, the way that you dress. Do you dress in a way that glorifies God? Is it modest? Is it careful? Are you being careful about the gray areas? I think we would all understand what the modesty of, or the standard of modesty is in the Scriptures, and you can go to the Scriptures and look that out if you'd like. And we all would know what that is. But what about putting a little buffer zone there? What about making sure we stay on the, the white side of the gray area, if you will? Making sure that we bring God glory in our modest apparel and make sure that it's not a distraction to your brother or sister that may be seeking the Lord and their desires to seek the Lord and make sure it's not distracting. Our clothing, be diligent about that. When I think of people being thoughtful by itself without the standard of God's Word, it reminds me of an account when I was at the abortion clinic. As I pled with a lady going inside, I said, Ma'am, please, please don't murder your baby. We'll adopt your child. She turned to me and she said, I'll talk to you when I get out. She said, I'm just going in to make an appointment. I'm not here for an abortion. I'm just making an appointment and I'll talk to you when I come out. Well, that gave me a little sense of relief and I thought, well, this will, be, this will be good. At least she's given a chance, you know, for a voice of truth to talk to her. And there were some other ladies that were out there on the sidewalk to talk to her that day. She went in and she was in there for a number of minutes. I don't know how long. And she came back out and, and I said, ma'am, please come and talk to us before you go. And she was just going to go back to her car. And then she came over and she said, you don't understand. She's like, don't, stop judging people. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I'm in. And I said, ma'am, I, I don't have to understand the details about your situation to know that killing an innocent child is wrong. And there's another way. There's a better alternative than abortion. And she said, that you don't understand my circumstance. She said, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I'm not an atheist. And I prayed about this. I, I, there might be a lot of people that you see coming in here to murder their babies, but I, I've taken some time to think about this. I've taken some time away from the busyness of life to ponder this, what I'm about to do. I've taken time to pray about it, she said. 
And the Lord has given me peace about this. And I said, peace about what, man? Peace about this, she said. I said, about aborting, about murdering your child? And she said, about this procedure. She didn't want to say that it was murder of a child. And I said, ma'am, I said, I don't know what God you're praying to, but you're not praying to the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible says that the hands that shed innocent blood are an abomination to Him. And I said, you don't have to be among the number that sheds innocent blood today. There's an alternative. There was another lady who worked at the clinic had come up and, and distracted her away, and then she got in her car and left. But it made me think about a person who lets their thoughts, who lets maybe even what they think is prayer, go unchecked according to the standard of God's Word. There's some good books on prayer, but I would go so far as to say that be diligent enough in your prayer life with the way that you communicate with God and what you know of God's voice and your walk and your relationship with Him. Challenge that according to God's Word. If it's false, you'll be glad. If what you have is true, then you'll be encouraged and strengthened in that truth according to God's Word and you'll have Scripture to back it. But we have God's Word. We need to value God's Word. We need to live by God's Word and use God's Word to examine our life. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. We're about to close here. There's a story, and I don't know the truth of it. I've tried to research and understand if it's a true factual happening. I was told as though it was a true happening. It seems to be that there's some that maybe think that it wasn't, didn't actually happen. But nonetheless, it teaches us an important spiritual truth. And it's about a young girl who had a snake, a pet snake. I don't really care for snakes too much. I like to go by my grandpa's philosophy. He said, when you run across a snake, he said, the best thing you could do for that snake in yourself is to trim its tail. He said, start by trimming it right up behind its head. <laughs> I don't like snakes too much, but this particular young girl had a snake. And as the story has it, that it was a pet snake and it grew and it grew. And from year to year, it kept getting bigger and bigger. What was an innocent snake became pretty large. And there came a day that it stopped eating wouldn't eat. She would try to feed it, and it, it stopped eating and did that for a few days. And sometimes with reptiles, that's the case, and they'll go through maybe a day or so of not eating. But this went on for quite some time to that, that she took it to the vet. And I don't know how large the snake was, but the story has it that she took it to the vet, and she said, you know, I, I'm afraid that there's something wrong with my snake. My poor little pet snake is sick. The vet examined it, checked it all out, said, no, ma'am. said, it's actually something worse yet. She's like, what's the matter with my snake? And he said, nothing's wrong with your snake. But he said, your snake is fasting because it's preparing to eat you. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that the things in my life, that I'm diligent enough about them to examine them, the little influences, the things that may seem innocent enough, that may get to the point where they've got ill intent. The devil may get in something with may get in your life with something kind of small, something that may seem insignificant. But there's an agenda there. And I like this passage here because our goal is not just to examine ourselves by ourselves. 
not just to examine ourselves based on our understanding, but this passage is a prayer to the Lord to ask the Lord to search our hearts. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, we're going to close with this passage. The writer says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe that we could put the checks and balances and the accountability and the diligence in three categories. We talked about the study of God's Word. I talked about the counsel and the accountability of God's people. God has put us here with other brothers and sisters to keep us accountable. And we're all to be in the Word. We're not just to be looking at other people, looking at ourselves, looking in the mirror, looking at other people in the church. That's not the standard, but God's Word is the standard. Amen? That's why we need to know God's Word. You may say, well, I'm walking according to truth, and there's nothing in my life that seems to be any issue, so you know, it's not really that important that I really dig in and study and understand more truths or learn more about topics in the Bible that I haven't studied already. God wants you to do that so that you can be able to help other people. The accountability of the brothers and of the sisters in the body of Christ to be accountable to each other with God's Word. So we have prayer, we have study, and the accountability of God's people. Counsel, a spiritual mentor, and I talked about that at the beginning. This here is a prayer. It says, search me, O God. It doesn't say, search me, O brother, search me, O sister. But this here is a prayer to the Lord. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Test me. Check me out. Check out the hidden things in my heart, even the things that maybe I don't understand. Things that's in my life that I may not even be aware of. I want to be made aware of those things. You know who the spiritual detective is? There's a lot of people I've seen and met in churches and talked to some of them. They feel like it's their job to be the spiritual detective. There's been people that's come to me, not necessarily in this church. I haven't recalled any accounts, and I hope it doesn't happen. But people come to me. I've had people come to me and say, Oh, you see what this person's doing? That person, I heard about this person. You need to know this. You need to know that. They want to be, they want to be the spiritual detective. They want to be aware of what's going on. They want to be the discerner. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need any helpers. He already knows the heart. He doesn't, need to, he doesn't need you to go scouting around to try to find out about somebody's hidden life. He doesn't need you to be probing into somebody's life to try to be critical or suspicious about things. The Lord already knows. He already sees. And if we go to Him, as this prayer is, it says, Search me, O God, with a humble heart. We go to Him and say, Lord, it's my desire to walk in the light. I don't want there to be anything in my life that I'm not aware about. I just want to be brought up to speed. I just want to have a spiritual checkup. Amen. There's a story, I believe it was given by Dale Yoakum. He said this man goes to this doctor. And he said, he went to the doctor. He said he, he was having some pains in his stomach. He had a problem. The doctor said, what is your problem? He said, well, just check me out. And he said, to see if you can find the problem. I don't know what the problem is. 
The man said, I, I hope that you can do this for a reasonable price. He said, I'm a poor man. He said, I don't have any money. He said, I can't reimburse you for anything you're about to do. He said, I hope that's okay. The doctor said, well, he said, if you truly are poor and we have to do it for free and you need the help, he said, we're willing to do it for free. He said, okay. The man was pleased about that and submitted to the doctor's examination. He said, they put him under the x-ray machine and he said he... He had a secret money belt around his midsection. He said it had quite a large number of bills in there. They could see by the x-ray. And the doctor said, oh, oh, he says, I think we found a problem here. He said, what's the physical problem? He said, oh, the doctor said, you have much more than just a physical problem here. He said, I see that you have a secret money belt on and you have deceit in your heart. God is the one running the spiritual x-ray. He knows our hearts. And we can go to Him. And we can go to His Word. And He can examine our hearts. And it's up to us to be diligent enough to seek His face, to ask Him. So we would say, well, if God wanted me to know about it, He would tell me. Don't you think if you wanted to know about it, you would just ask God? Amen. And will you ask Him? I found it in my own life to be true that if you ask God, you go to Him with a humble, contrite heart. Say, Lord, my desire is just to be obedient to you. Would you show me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you examine my life? And he'll be faithful to do that. Amen. Let's stand tonight. The altar is open if anyone needs to pray. The one course says, search me, O God. Know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me, just according to this passage we just read. Diligence in the practical sense. Careful comparison of your life with God's Word. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your voice. And thank you for other Christians. Help us to be watchful. Help us to be diligent. Lest we fall from grace. Be with each one of us, Lord. Continue to press this truth upon our hearts. And examine us anew and afresh. Search out our ways, Lord. It's our desire to live pleasing in your sight. If there's something we've become akin to, Put on the searchlight and expose it. Make it known to us. Convict us about it. Direct us to the truth. We thank you that you are truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Be with each one, Lord. Bless those who would like to be here but couldn't make it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.